Do you ever feel like you're in a never-ending cycle of snacks and meals? We get it. That's why we're excited to share Home Threads, the ultimate solution for creating a stylish and functional family space. At HomeThreads.com, discover furniture that can handle the chaos of family life. From wipeable dining chairs to kitchen tables and light fixtures. Or you can just freshen up your kitchen with trays, counter lamps, decor, and other affordable accents that will help you update your kitchen into a room you love spending time in. Head over to HomeThreads.com slash D-I-J-F-Y, short for Dinner and I Just Feed You, to get a code for 15% off your first order. Because if you're going to be feeding them three times a day, plus snacks, you deserve a home that feeds your style. HomeThreads, love where you live. That's HomeThreads.com backslash D-I-J-F-Y today to get 15% off your first order. This episode is brought to you with support from Whole Foods. As a resident Greek girl, I am a sucker for Mediterranean flavors and want you to taste the Mediterranean too. Go to Whole Foods Market now and save on regionally inspired products through March 19th. Find sales on animal welfare certified meat, including boneless, skinless, air-chilled chicken breast, bone-in beef short ribs, ground lamb, and more. Save on whole bronzini and sustainable wild-caught sockeye salmon. And stock up on Mediterranean essentials like feta cheese crumbles, whole wheat pita pockets, and if you're over 21, wines from Spain, Greece, and Italy. Grab your ingredients and experiment with family-friendly Mediterranean cuisine today. Think Greek-style ground lamb pitas, lemony oven-roasted chicken, or bronzino, or instant pot short ribs braised in wine. All simple and delicious. Taste the Mediterranean now at Whole Foods Market. Megan, a lot has changed since my boys started solids, but one thing hasn't. Parents are always looking for delicious options that deliver the most nutrition as affordably as possible. We all want what's best for our kids. Which is why we're so thrilled to share Amara Organic Foods. Their baby foods deliver all of the taste, textures, and nutrients of fresh purees with the convenience of an on-the-go powder. Yes, powder. Amara is a small company making big changes in the baby food space. When founder Jessica realized that by removing the water content from fresh foods, she could retain all of their nutrients and flavor without having to boil them to death, she partnered with an infant nutritionist to turn these super powders into a less processed, more affordable baby food option. You just add water, breast milk, or formula to your Amara baby food powder, mix, and serve. This allows you to customize the texture of your baby's meal, which is ready in seconds. All of this and Amara is 100% organic, non-GMO, and plant-based without any added preservatives or sugars. In fact, Amara has 50% less natural sugar than leading brands and still costs less than $2 a meal. It's no wonder that Amara was voted best baby food by the bump, good housekeeping, and what to expect. Learn more at amaraorganicfoods.com backslash D-I-J-F-Y and get 25% off their online shop using our exclusive code FEEDU25. That's FEEDU25 for 25% off any purchase at amaraorganicfoods.com slash D-I-J-F-Y, short, or didn't I just feed you? We are learning more about our bodies and doing more that maybe 
in this profession will also sort of start to open the conversation for all types of people and how they want to feed. And, you know, already even seeing like different words like combination feeding and, you know, exclusively pumping. Like, I just think we need to remember, like, it is just feeding your baby. And at the end of the day, there's a million ways you can do it. Welcome to Didn't I Just Feed You, a podcast about feeding kids. Hi, I'm Stacy, And I'm Megan. This week, we're throwing it back. Well, for us, <laughs> since it's been many years, since either of us had breastfed. Yep, it, it sure has been a very long time. <laughs> but that very early feeding phase is so formative. And not just for the attachment that it helps children create with their caretakers, which we talked a lot about in our conversation with Kim Foster in last month's episode about feeding foster children. It's also formative for parents, especially the primary feeder. And I can say that in my case, not just with my first child, but with both of my boys, it really was a formative experience, that breastfeeding, formula feeding thing, and how it shaped me as a mom. Yes. I want to hear more about your breastfeeding experience, which weirdly we haven't talked that much about personally uh, and tell you more about mine before we dive in. But I think our community is especially relevant for this episode. Having a group of trusted, non-judgmental parents that you can count on to both commiserate and to your information with is so important in those earliest feeding months. And I found our community to be one of the most supportive places on the whole entire on the whole internet i could not agree more and as a reminder we offer a free community space where everyone hangs out and then if you contribute to didn't i just feed you you can also join us as a supporting member so that's in addition to the free membership space and that comes with a ton of additional perks including two bonus episodes every single month and more you can find out more about your options and how to join our communities at didn't i just feed you.com backslash community pretty easy and straightforward. And if you can't join our community or become a supporting member right now, you can always support Deny Just Feed You by leaving a rating or review or even telling your friends about us. Stacey, you talked about this a little bit with Erica, but tell us, like, give us a general overview of your experience breastfeeding your babies. Okay. And then you'll tell us our yours. Is this like, I'm yes. really going to keep it short and sweet because it's like trauma therapy, yes. right? Um, <laughs> uh, ugh. I didn't have any supply and, um, I was, I just had it in my mind that I needed to breastfeed. Like I was going to do it quote yeah. unquote, right. I insisted on exclusively breastfeeding for three months. And I mentioned this in the conversation with Erica at, uh, Isaac's three month appointment. I was told like, right now you're going to leave this pediatrician's office and you're going to go get a canister of formula. So failure to thrive, the worst possible term ever. I tried like pretty much everything. I fed on demand. I pumped. I used this tube that I attached to my nipple so that I could put either pumped milk, but more often formula in so that as he was getting the formula, he was also stimulating my supply in theory I weighed him before and after, like I did all the things I was on prescriptions. I went through a million lactation consultants. I saw a special breastfeeding MD that I traveled with baby Isaac an hour and a half out of the city to find. Oof. It was so mentally draining. I felt like such a failure and so much of it had to do my mindset and that nobody 
corrected that, all these professionals who saw me, nobody talked to me about me and my mental health and what was realistic. I ended up seeing an endocrinologist, which now is like a regular part of my care because of PCOS. And the endocrinologist was the first person who sat down and said, listen, some people's lungs don't work exactly the way lungs are supposed to optimally work. Some people's hearts don't work optimally the way human hearts are supposed to work. And I'm just going to say that it sounds like you've done everything and your breasts for when it comes to milk supply just don't work the way you think they're optimally supposed to work. Please be done with this. Wow. It was really intense. Is that, was that freeing or was that also, did that also make you feel like you feel? But that was me because no one was talking to me about it. Erica has such a different perspective than all the lactation consultants that I dealt with. And I have to say that let's remember this was 15 years ago. So Erica even acknowledges that the industry, her industry is changing. No, I mean, I was embarrassed. I remember feeling like I was getting dirty looks when I would pull out bottles in public when I wanted to like have a play date. Everybody, it was like 15 years ago, Brooklyn, everybody was like, no BPA, everything organic. It was like the height of no one recognized their privilege in any of it. And like, I was just shamed, especially because I was a part-time work from home mom freelancing as a writer. Like I was able to breastfeed him. Like it's just what you're supposed to do. A hundred percent. I remember feeling like in every conversation I had to find, I have a tape running in the back of my head as I was talking to people, like looking for the natural opportunity to bring up why I was bottle feeding him, formula feeding him. And I, like, I needed them to know how hard I had tried to not be this person. It was terrible. It was so terrible. With Oliver, Mike made me have formula in the house. He was like, from day one, we know that supply is an issue for you. So we're going to have formula in the house from day one. I combo fed him and I was much healthier about it. But I have to admit that when it didn't work with him too, there was a whole like emotional response where I had been, I realized I had been holding out hope that I was going to do it quote unquote better. And so I've really come to terms with the fact that it just, it was my body. Like I did all the things. I ate all the things. I drank all the things. I did all the things. Neither of my kids, I could keep up with their supply, even feeding Oliver on demand, supplementing with formula by like three months at the same point where Isaac, my supply started to dry up. It started to dry up with Oliver too. So that was that. But I was a little, no, I was a lot healthier mentally about it with Oliver, but that isn't saying a lot because I would say one of the hardest, most depressed I've ever been was when I couldn't feed Isaac exclusively. Yeah. That that was also my experience with Ella. My experience with Emmett was very much different, but not only because I was a second time mom, but because we were in a different season of life. So when I had Ella, I was still working for Alton. So I had like generous maternity leave because his wife at the time was just so great about that stuff. And I had also like combined time, like vacation time. So I just had this time. I had basically three months of being home with Ella, but I had joked, this is so terrible. I can't believe I want to say this. I had joked like, oh, I have big breasts. So like, if I can't breastfeed, what was the point? Like, of course I'm going to breastfeed. so interesting. Because that was my like anatomy. Like I joked about that. And then at the same time, I did nothing to prep for breastfeeding. Because I just thought like, 
you just do it. You just put the baby on your nipple and like it works. It's magic. It's natural. And that's not at all what happened. And I was seeing a lactation consultant at the pediatrician, which I think is an important distinction. You know, Erica talks about having a a lactation consultant at an OBGYN, which would have been hugely helpful because everyone was concerned about Ella. Everyone was concerned about Ella gaining weight and no one was concerned about mom, even though I was almost every week in the pediatrician making sure that she was gaining weight because everyone was concerned about failure, failure to thrive. And I was crying every time. And I was just being told to do more, to pup in between feedings, to drink, to drink mother's milk tea and take fenugreek supplements to take dairy, coffee and onions and garlic and all these things out of my diet. And no one caught that in addition to struggling to breastfeed, I had terrible postpartum depression. I still would say it was the lowest I ever felt in my life. And Brian was traveling for work at the time. He was doing these cruises, film cruises. Mike was traveling a lot too. So I didn't have support. Like I didn't have the support of my husband and I love my mother-in-law, but she was very much like, well, you just be like, you can just do formula. But I had this thing up about the form about moving her to formula. And I had the lactation consultant at the pediatrician being like, no, we're really gonna, it was that dictatorship that Erica mentions. Like she was just like, no, you're going to get her. And like, in addition to all these things, like, why don't you just go to this, like these breastfeeding groups? Meanwhile, I'm like, just crying, like crying all the time. And part of my like long lead trauma that I have from breastfeeding Ella is that I feel like I didn't get to adequately bond with her because I was so worried about feeding her and I was so depressed and no one caught it. And so I always worry that there's the attachment issues that we talked about with Kim. So intense. I can relate to my mother who, you know, came to this country when she was 13 and then had her my brother when she was 19, really young. And the, it was yeah. really a different time. So she was kind of detached from the like old world village, like put the baby on the boob yeah. and like came here and was young. It was like formula. And she would come over and be like, just give him a bottle. But she like, yes, didn't talk me through She wasn't supporting me. She was worried about Isaac. And I yeah. felt like she didn't understand where I was coming from. And no one acknowledged how important this was for me. And to this day, she makes jokes and I get angry and like, I feel like I'm going to, I don't, it's not like to the point of tears, but that probably just stopped a few years ago because we have this Google home and photos from like this time, eight years ago, pictures of Isaac when he was in his first three months come up. And when my mom sees them, she's like, oh, look, that's starving Isaac. Like that's baby Isaac. And I'm like, it's horrible. Same exact horrible. My mother-in-law will say things like, we were all really worried about Ella. I'm like... Yes. And I look back and I see the pictures of her when she's like three months and she is a thin baby. Who's still happy. Like some of my favorite videos are like of her laugh, like just having laughing fits. And I'm immediately taken back there and I want to cry and I want to crawl into bed because I think... What the fuck? And now I, I did that. He is as a baby. Like yes. when I look at him now, I can see, I'm like, that doesn't look like a, like a healthy fat chubby. You know what I mean? 
then I was not accepting it. Yeah. And so we started, I started supplementing with formula when Ella was about 10 weeks, which was right before I went back to work. And then when I went back to work and I had to pump at work, which was like not, I mean, Alton's wife, Deanna, really tried to like create a space where I could pump comfortably, but there was also weird work dynamics with other people where it like, and comments where I was just like, I can't have someone like commenting on the breast pump. So then at three months, she moved exclusively to formula and was amazing. Grew, 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 thrived, all that. And with Emmett, we did same thing. Like we had, we just had formula in the house, but also we knew that I was going to be prone to postpartum depression. So I could immediately get help for that with Emmett. And I wasn't working at the time. I had been laid off because Alton and his wife had divorced and closed their company. And so I had Ella going to preschool, but I had all this time with Emmett and I, I just felt more confident as a parent. And I was able to breastfeed him supplementing occasionally for the first six months of his life. And it was just such a wildly different experience, but I had different expectations too. I was open to totally supplementing. Totally. And talking with Erica made me think I might have actually honestly had oversupply with Ella and no one caught it. Like everyone thought, and she was having a hard time latching and having a hard time feeding because she was getting too much at, at yeah, one that time. Like, gul, gul, and gul, like gul, having, gul yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. I mean, I definitely wasn't, I was definitely not making milk. Like he definitely wasn't. Yeah. I remember extremely vividly, this is 14 and a half years ago. Isaac's first formula bottle. Yeah, I do too. Also, I forgot to say we had to get uh, Ella's frenulum. Is that what it's called? Your little tongue yes, attachment. Little- like they thought she had a tongue tie and that was extremely traumatic to like take your yes. baby in and have them cut yes. something. That is. Sorry. I just remembered that. I must have blocked it. Isn't that intense? So I know the first bottle, I don't remember the ounces, but he was getting yeah. like, you know, whatever he's supposed to get, but he'd probably been getting a little under that. And yeah. that first bottle, it was like almost double the amount of ounces a baby of his age was supposed to eat. He was basically starving and he gulped yeah. a huge fat bottle of formula. And then he was like really drowsy and sleepy. And I got really freaked out. And my mom was laughing at me and she was like, yeah, she was like, it's like, it's like when you eat a Thanksgiving dinner, she is right. She was right. But I felt so, she she was laughing so hard. She was like, I mean, she wasn't laughing at me, but she was laughing at the situation. She was like, that's so funny. This kid is like a little tiny infant, but he's like basically just ate a big ass meal. And was like, I need to pass out for like three hours. That's what I remember was like, uh, and I cried about that too. Like Ella had her first formula bottle and then she slept like the longest stretch she had ever slept in that 10 weeks. And I was like, I did this to her. Like I kept her from having good rest and from us enjoying this time together because I was so obsessed with breastfeeding. So I think this is a really good, now that we've like dumped her. Yes. (laughs) Hello. Welcome to our therapy session on didn't I just feed you? But this is why we were so excited to get Erica on because she has such a holistic view of what it means to feed, not breastfeed, formula feed, co-feed, 
what it means to feed your child. And I think that she feels very aligned with you and me because we talk about this for later stages that seeing yourself in that picture, in that whole picture, your mental health, where you are, how busy you are that week, that day. You know, these are the things that we talk about in relation to cooking and feeding your family. Erica sees that as part of the picture from the very, very beginning. Which I love. And it's a very eye-opening. So we should just bring Erica on. Erica Campbell is a registered nurse, international board certified lactation consultant, wife, and mother of two. She works as a lactation consultant with a private practice group in the Houston area. When Erica isn't helping families navigate their feeding journey, she finds joy in working out, reading an invigorating book, and listening to podcasts while on a nice walk. Oh, I love those things too. (laughs) Uh, You can find more about Erica on her site, themilkmanual.com, or look for her on Instagram where she is at themilkmanual. Welcome to the show, Erica. We want to start by acknowledging that many moms um, who can't or decide not to breastfeed for any reason at all, can you share with us why you feel passionately about breastfeeding and also help remind everyone that it's legitimate to not breastfeed or breastfeed exclusively as well? Absolutely. So for me, I'm not going to lie. When I decided to become a lactation consultant, it was about seven years ago. And so I was coming from a a really different perspective um, than where I am now in my life. And whenever I decided to become one, it was because I had such great help. And prior to having children, I did not know a lot about motherhood as most, I feel like most you know parents don't. But prior to becoming a mom, I didn't know a lot about motherhood. I'd never really seen anyone breastfeed. It just wasn't really on my radar. So whenever I chose to do it for myself, I had no goals. I had, I was just kind of like, yeah, I'll do it. And I was a little bit younger. I was like 24 when I had my first kid. So I mean, it's younger in today's society, but I just was like, yeah, I'll have a baby and, you know, I'll breastfeed if it can happen. And it did. Anyway, I mean, I sometimes I feel bad for saying this, but it was super easy for me. And I think it's just because I didn't really overthink it or have anybody to compare myself to. And so from that moment on, I was a mother baby nurse and I went back to work and I was very passionate about helping families just feel as confident and as empowered as I did in the situation. But now here I am seven years later and (laughs) breastfeeding is a lot harder for most people than it was for me. And so for me to give advice, sometimes I feel like, you know, it, it takes a lot more effort for me to try and put myself in their shoes when I can see people struggling and see how hard it is for them. It does kind of take me back and make me think like, wow, like what would I do in this situation? And There's so many times, like you said, where, you know, to validate not breastfeeding, where I think like, no, and if I was in their shoes, I wouldn't do it either. Like, I completely get it. So now um, I would say like, I love to empower people if they want to do it. Obviously, there's so many benefits to breastfeeding and it can be just a really cool thing to do. Like for me, the science behind it, the ease, the, I don't know, there were lots of things that made it easy for me. But then, like I said, on the other end, there's lots of things that make it hard for people. Um, There's lots of times where it's just not, it doesn't fit into everyone's lifestyle and that's okay. And I think more people need to remember that breastfeeding is only one asset of being a mom or one aspect of being a mom. So if you choose not to do it, it does not take away any part of your motherhood. Like it takes away nothing. It's just literally another part. Like for instance, my kids are 
older now. They're almost six and seven or they're somewhere in there. But uh, (laughs) now they're older and like most, you know, we we are supposed to think, oh, go play with your kids, go do this. There's some things that most moms do that I just refuse to do. And that's for my sanity. And I hate going to the park. And it's just like literally one thing I will do if I absolutely have to do it. And my husband does it for me. I've talked about how I hated going to the playground. Yeah, it's the worst. (laughs) Totally. And and you know what, though, like, I just don't feel bad about that. Because at the end of the day, like, they'll be fine. Everybody's gonna be fine. It's one small aspect. And I think for breastfeeding, you have to think of it that way, too. Like, yes, ideally, if you really want to do it, and you worked hard, you got to celebrate that celebrate how far you made it. But if you decide not to do it anymore, like, I don't want to be insensitive. But it's just like, if you decide not to do it, just move on. Like, remember, it's just one little thing. I think we're giving it too much power. And we just got to yeah. keep keep rolling. I love yeah. this so much. You're reminding me of in my own career. It's kind of just like stopping and acknowledging as an expert, your privilege and why you came to this in the first place. And then being able to like expand yourself to be at to be of service to as many people as possible, not just yes. to the people who come at it from your lane and from your experience as well. So I had a really horrible time breastfeeding. Actually, there is a trauma in there for me. For sure. I So I, by the time my second kid came around, I thought I was over it. It was a little bit traumatic, but it was so much better. But at that point, I was like, you know, whatever you do, fed is best. Like, that's what matters. In the meantime, on a parallel track, as a food expert, as a professional recipe developer, as someone with privilege who could afford organic food, at mm-hmm. the same time, I was like learning all this stuff about why I thought organic was better. And especially because, you know, you're feeding them many more fruits and vegetables, you know, in ratio, like than we eat. So the organic makes more of a difference. I was publishing recipes where every ingredient was like organic, this organic, that organic. I was so blind to seeing how I was alienating a whole group of people who either didn't agree with me, who were coming at it from a different point of view, who had a different budget, who whatever it was. And it took me, you know, at least seven to 10 years into my career to say like, oh, wait a minute, like I can't be of service to everybody. This is just one little piece. You're not, you're fine if your kid doesn't eat an organic banana. Like, right. (laughs) Like, this is not what motherhood is about. So I think that's why we're drawn to you and your work, because you have such expertise and you're passionate about it, but there's really room for everybody. And I think because of our, Megan and I both had really hard breastfeeding experiences, we want to share this information and get people who are excited about breastfeeding, excited about doing it and having an expansive view of it. But without alienating people who don't, for whom it's hard or they're torn or, you know, it's just complicated. Also, who maybe don't want to. I feel like we don't acknowledge that enough that there are people who purely for whatever reason, maybe it has to do with like their body image or their self-image, they don't want to be a breastfeeding parent. And also acknowledging that they're like non-binary parents who might not be able to breastfeed, I think is really important. But what you said, Erica, where you were like, it is just one aspect of motherhood, of parenthood. Like I needed someone to tell me that 10 years ago (laughs) when I was struggling with it. So I'm so glad that you said that. 
Yeah. But let's like, let's move away from talking about our, our <laughs> Stacey and yeah. I's breastfeeding trauma. Well, that's like trauma. a good way to set the stage though. That's a no, good way to is. set the stage, yeah. you know, that like hopefully people can grab what they need and want yeah. from this episode without feeling judged if like not every right. aspect of it applies or resonates with them. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's important too, for like just the scope of breastfeeding as a whole, because again, I think we've always kind of seen it as very black and white. You do this, it makes you a mom, but it's like, and I try and tell so many people to this day, every person I work with, like, it's not all or nothing. Like you could literally just give one bottle today. And like, that's still super beneficial and give one bottle today. If that's all you can do, like, that's still really good. And then if you choose not to do it, like you still worked really hard. And I think I think a lot of lactation consultants are getting on board with kind of supporting people where they are. But I think, you know, traditionally what we've always seen is kind of lactation as just being more like you just breastfeed, like, no, there's no substitution, nothing else, you know? So I, I, I feel good about like where we're going in the future, especially as like women are taking more ownership of their bodies and we are learning more about our bodies and doing more that maybe in this profession will also sort of start to open the conversation for all types of people and how they want to feed. And, you know, I've already even seen like different words, like combination feeding and, you oh, know, so exclusively awesome. pumping. Like, I just think we need to remember, like, it is just feeding your baby. And at the end of the day, there's a million ways you can do it. Oh, that's so great. Because yes, I'll tell you, yes. Isaac is 15. And when I was having my troubles, I've had, I had four or five lactation consultants and three made me feel horrible. Like they left and I oh, cried and for I days. Hate that. I cried. Yes. Oh, I hate that so much because like when I chose to do this, it was because I wanted to be like a cheerleader. I wanted to be motivating. I wanted to be supportive. Like, I, so when I hear people have experiences with people who felt like their lactation consultant was like a dictator or like just was very aggressive, I'm like, no, like it's because it makes the whole thing so much worse. Like it just really makes everybody's memory and experience and it does make it a traumatic experience and yeah. it's like that first year of life is already so hard like where we can make it easier we should be making it easier yeah and not to mention like stress can impact your milk supply right so like if you're feeling all this pressure to have to do it and you're struggling to do it it's only going to make the experience worse yeah and not like something that should which is not to say like, it's not hard. I think that's where, where I came at it as like, I thought that breastfeeding would be this fully natural experience. Like I wouldn't need any help to be able to do it. And it, and it wasn't, there's like a huge learning curve for both you and for baby. So talk to us a little bit about that. Like, what do you recommend people take like breastfeeding class if they would like to breastfeed? They take breastfeeding classes sort of like they would birthing classes. Um, is hiring a lactation consultant like an ultimate thing, especially in, in terms of goals too? Like what is the goal if people want to breastfeed? How long should they want to do that for or try to do that for? For taking um, a class, I highly recommend taking a class in, during pregnancy if you can, like in your third trimester. And I will say a lot of people in these classes, they don't know what to expect or what to ask. And I mean, I don't want to plug myself, but I'm going to do it anyways. I I have a, <laughs> I have a lactation, like an infant feeding course for the beginning. So like, especially if you deliver in a hospital, because I think there's a big disconnect in hospital education when it comes to breastfeeding. I think 
and I worked as a lactation consultant in the hospital, it's a busy place. And I will never say like your lactation consultant sucked in the hospital, but I will say it is a sucky position to have in a hospital because you're working against so many other factors that we as just like parents don't know about. Like there's so many little things that impact how you feed your baby in a hospital. And I'll never say like, oh, you shouldn't get these things. Like you shouldn't get an epidural. You shouldn't get IVs because like if you're going to get it, you're going to get it. But I think it's important to know that it does impact feeding. So here's what you should do to help the feedings if you get an epidural or if you get an IV. So that is something that I talk about in my course. And I feel like most prenatal breastfeeding courses just are kind of like, la-di-da, like here's the benefits of breastfeeding. As if we don't know there's benefits. It's like, it's 2022. We all know there's benefits, but nobody's talking about like how to do it or what to do in this situation or like, okay, so the first day my baby's crying, like why, like what's going on with them biologically that's making this happen, you know? So I think it's important to take a prenatal class. I think a lot of classes are more so getting on board with like answering real questions that real parents are having rather than just spitting us like facts that we already know. But I think also just reading some books, like doing more information, like kind of, and this goes for all aspects of parenthood, but like really diving in on what you can do for you and your baby rather than what you can buy. Because a lot of people will also come to me and they'll be like, oh yeah, I'm ready to breastfeed. I bought this, 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 and this. And I'm like, okay, but what do you know about day one? Like, do you know that you do have milk? Do you know it's called colostrum? Do you (laughs) know those type of things? And they're like, oh no, I don't know that. And that's totally fine. Like, of course we don't know it. Like our society is not promoting us to know this. We're, we're all kind of told like you should buy this to be good at breastfeeding. Um, so I think courses can be helpful. What are realistic goals for breastfeeding exclusively? And then also people who want the health benefits of breastfeeding and maybe they don't have the supply for it. So they want to like extend it out using what they have and supplementing. Like, are there different goals for different types of feeding? Yes. And that can be, so that can also be helpful during a prenatal um, consult. And oh, another question you asked was like about seeing lactation. So everybody's insurance is different, different, obviously. But I want to say in the US, as far as I know, a lot of insurance companies will cover at least three to six visits with lactation. And those are covered. Really? I see a lot of clients. Yeah. I see a lot of clients for up to six visits and it's all covered by their insurance. Um, And it's been really great for me. And it's been really for them. Like I've gotten to watch a lot of babies grow a lot longer than I would and kind of establish these relationships with people, which is my favorite part of the job is just like making mom friends and like empowering them. You do get those type of visits and you can use one of those for a prenatal visit if you want. I always recommend like if you have any type of pre-existing condition, any type of breast surgeries, um, used any type of fertility treatments, anything like that to kind of work with someone beforehand just to set up expectations because that's a really big thing is like some people will have the baby and they're like, yeah, I'm going to breastfeed. But then they, I meet with them, you know, a month or two later. And I'm like, well, in your medical history, it says like you have this and this can possibly affect your milk supply to anybody talk to you about that. And they're like, no, I had no idea. Like breast reduction is a big one. And a lot of people don't talk about the impacts of a breast reduction, but then I see them and I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah. Like we should really be talking about what's realistic for you and your body. Totally. And knowing that before you are exhausted and emotional and hormonal and trying to keep Mm -hmm. the creature alive, it would have been so helpful to me. Right. What's hard though is like when you're pregnant, you go to these visits with your obstetrician or midwife, you go to all these visits 
but breastfeeding's never really talked about, you know? It breastfeeding's kind of lumped into this in between because even after you go to the postpartum visits, they kind of ask, "Are you breastfeeding?" but there's not as much guidance. There's not like a lactation consultant on their staff, which I truly feel like there should be lactation consultants in these OBGYN offices and they should be counseling you whenever you decide you're pregnant. And it's again, you have the choice to choose to breastfeed or not to breastfeed, but even so, like for me as a lactation consultant, I loved meeting with people who chose not to breastfeed because those people are also put at a disadvantage after delivery because your breasts are still going to change and nobody tells you like it's going to hurt. Like, here's how we suppress the milk. Here's how we make sure we're taking care of your breasts and your body when you choose not to breastfeed. So when I would go in the hospital, I would walk in and if people were like, oh, we're giving formula, they would instantly like look at me with this shame or like, oh, I don't want to talk to her. And I was like, no, 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 sweetie. Like, let's hang out. Like, we still should talk. We should talk about how you should prepare your formula, like the room temperature your formula should be, how to feed your baby, like how to birth them. There's still so much guidance, I feel like, and education that can be given. And that's why I like to tell people like I work in infant feeding, not just breastfeeding. So if you're doing both, like I want to help you feed your baby, no matter how you choose to feed them and down to the breast too, because some people will still get plugged ducks and they're like, I'm not breastfeeding. Like, why do my, why do my boobs hurt so much? And I'm like, yeah, we need to like massage and do certain things. And there's still so much education that needs to be done on a lot. So yeah, you can still see lactation for prenatal visits. And I think it can be really helpful to set those expectations and get to those goals. And whenever it comes to goal setting, I'm just very much on like short-term goals. Like, let's see what we can do. Let's take it day by day in those first couple of days. <laughs> and then at two weeks, let's see where we are because it is really hard, I feel like, for like the first six weeks. So pushing through those type of things, you know, I try and visit people a lot more in the beginning if I can. And at six weeks, I like to just ask them like emotionally, how are you feeling? Physically, how are you feeling? You have to kind of really dig deeper into yourself and not talk about your baby in that moment too. Because a lot of people are like, well, the baby's doing so good. So I want to, and I'm like, but how do you feel? You know, like, are you doing good too? Because if you're not like, we need to evaluate other options because there are so many other options. And if you just really want to give the benefits of breast milk, you can still do that. You can take a break. Like, I think it's good to have lactation on board because it is an emotional moment. And sometimes we, as the parent who just had the baby, aren't in that mind space to where it's like, there's a million decisions to be made right now. I just need somebody to help me, guide me, talk to me, you know? I feel like I can cry thinking about my experience (laughs) then hearing you. You know, I mean, it's like when you like parent your younger self, like you do that, like Mm -hmm. therapy, right? Like hearing you say, okay, the baby's doing okay, but how are you? I feel like nobody asked me that. And I, between my personality and also there are so many decisions you're making and so many new things you're learning. I became so goal oriented about feeding that it was just like, how do I get him enough milk from my breast? Like that was Mm -hmm. it. And I became single-minded in a way that was really harmful to my mental health. And ultimately, the first time around, not great for my baby. When Isaac went to his three-month appointment, his pediatrician pulled me aside. And I still, he's 15. It's still the same doctor we go to. Like, I trusted her from the beginning. Like, we were, like, in it together. And she was like, you need to leave this office and you need to go buy a canister formula today. She was really careful about not using failure to thrive, which was a term that was, like, thrown my way. And, like, felt like a gut punch. 
Mm-hmm. When someone says your baby's failing to thrive, you're like, well, I f***ed it up. <laughs> I, did, I didn't do my job. Like, that's your only job is to help this little baby thrive. And, you know, I, it was really harmful. I wish someone had just stopped and talked to me, not about breastfeeding, but about the whole situation, like where I was, where he was, like how there are different options. Yes. Yes. And I think it's so important. And like you said, like it is such an emotional thing, especially when you feel like, and I think for so many of us and probably even so 15 years ago, it was just so much like, no, it's this, or it's this, you feed your baby this way, or you feed your baby that way. If you can't do this, then you're not a good mom. If you can't do this, you know, and all of that, it's honestly just like, it's just, it's not how we should be approaching motherhood in any aspect. Like what, like I said in the beginning, there's just so many, there's so many aspects of it. Like we're not going to be good at every single part. We're not going to be bad at every single part, but we have to find peace with where we are. And we have to find like the support in that journey as well. And that's where I come in. (laughs) Before we hear more from Erica, a quick break to hear from this week's sponsor. Last year, both Stacey and I discovered Nutrafol, a supplement that supports healthy hair growth by targeting the five root causes of thinning, stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, and metabolism. We've been so thrilled with the results that in 2022, we want to make sure every woman knows about Nutrafol, because as it turns out, 30 million women are impacted by weakened or thinning hair. Nutrafol offers two targeted formulas for women that are clinically shown to improve hair growth and thickness with less shedding through seasons when hair loss and thinning are normal, like postpartum and premenopausal, and all the times in between. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after six months, and more than 1,500 doctors recommend Nutrafol as an effective and high-quality solution for healthier hair. Most importantly, Nutrafol is 100% drug-free. They use medical-grade botanicals in consistently effective dosages, so you get the most reliable results. And major bonus, you may also notice improvements to your overall well-being, including more restful sleep, less stress, and my favorite, better skin and nails. No matter your stage in life or whether you're experiencing thinning hair caused by stress, hormonal changes, overstyling, or some other reason, there's a Nutrafol product for you. Take their hair wellness quiz on Nutrafol.com for personalized product recommendations. Grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code D-I-J-F-Y to save $15 off your first month's subscription. This is their best offer anywhere, and it is only available to U.S. customers for a limited time, plus get free shipping on every order. That's $15 off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code D-I-J-F-Y. Okay, so can we get down to some brass tacks? Because the first thing is like milk flow, right? Mm-hmm. Can you talk to us a little bit about the problem I came up against was short milk supply, but also I've spoken to a lot of people where it can be really overwhelming if they're overproducing. Yeah. Right. So like what yes. are some like basic tips and tricks for each of those scenarios? 
So I think it's really hard to say because it's so different for every single person, obviously, um, but also with the babies too. Like some people's babies are like, you know, with any type of oral restriction or anything, the baby is what's causing like the supply to be lower. So it's not even always necessarily like how mom's body is working and that's where pumping would come into play and then working on baby's mouth. So it can be really complicated even to just like navigate a slower milk supply versus a faster or, or a low milk supply versus an oversupply. And sometimes a low milk supply can be caused by lots of things that are out of that person's hands. And I like to tell people that so they can understand, like, it's nothing that you did. It's nothing that you even could have known was going to happen. It, it's, it's so much bigger than us, how our bodies choose to work and choose to not work. And so in a low milk supply case, it's like, Sometimes, and I'm going to be honest, and I think more of us need to say it is like, sometimes there's nothing we can do. Like sometimes you cannot change it. And we have to now work at the mental health aspect of this because it it can't be changed. But what can we do instead to like still support our baby? Like what can we do within that realm of low milk supply that you can still get the goal of feeding your baby how you want? And that's where I was telling you, like some people, they you know, go through the whole triple feeding. I don't know if that's something you had to do 15 years ago, but it's like breastfeeding, pumping, bottle feeding. And that is draining. Listen, literally. Oh, and then also that tube that you have to like tape to your nipples so that I was supplemental nursing system. I did Mm -hmm. all of it. And I, that was my low point. That's, and see, that's what I'm saying. Like I even tell my clients, cause some people be like, well, they told me to triple feed. And I'm like, but did they tell you for how long? Like, did they tell you anything else? And I'm like, no, we got to figure out what's going to work in your own environment. And sometimes that's why it's nice to do home visits. So I work in a homes and offices, but in like home visits, I can kind of get a sense for their personality, like who they are, how they run their household kind of shows how they're running their own life. And so like with people who are more type A, or I guess the other one's type B, you can kind of tailor the care plan to who they are as a person. And some people, I can see it as soon as I look at them and look at their house and look at everything that they're going through. I'm like, no, 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 you don't need to be triple feeding. You need to sleep. Like you need to, you need to eat. You need to do a lot of other things. Like you need to take care of yourself because you don't have a lot of help and you have another kid running around and you have so many other things to do. So whenever, whenever people are told to triple feed though, it is exhausting. And I mean, seriously, as I like explain it to people, like just me verbalizing, I'm like, oh, even the talking about it's a lot, like just doing it sounds like way too much. So I think in, in a low milk supply case, we would talk about kind of like, I always ask people before I say anything, I'm like, if you don't like this, you tell me you don't like it and I will give you options, but I will never tell you what to do. So in that case, we kind of talk about like, you can choose to nurse your baby and then just bottle feed them afterwards or have a family member bottle feed them and you go take a shower. But you still got that benefit of nursing your baby. No, you're not going to exclusively nurse them. You're not, they're not going to get a hundred percent of their nutrition from you, but they're still going to get a good amount from you and you're still breastfeeding. And sometimes we'll kind of get to that point where I'm like, we can make this work in a way that works for you. It's just not going to be what we envisioned it to be. And I think that's something we have to talk about with low milk supply rather than selling people this capitalistic dream of you go out and buy this, you go out and buy this, your milk supply will go up, you go do this and do this and do this. And it's like that some people, I see them literally working their butts off, starving themselves, like not sleeping, not eating 
focused solely on breastfeeding all day. And they're still, they're like, I did this for months and nothing changed. And I'm like, well, we got to stop. I am we so stop. glad you brought up capitalism too, because I have the financial privilege to have mm-hmm. multiple lactation consultants, crazy teas. I was on a special diet. I had a pump. I was even encouraged at one point when I was triple feeding to have a scale. I would mm-hmm. breastfeed. I would weigh Isaac before breastfeed, weigh him after log it and then bottle feed him. It was insanity. Like my whole life for months was like, we weren't even going on play dates. Like I wasn't even doing mom meetups because yeah. it was too much of a production to fit in naps and this whole routine I had around breastfeeding. And all of that money, time and energy mm-hmm. <laughs> never got better. Oh, prescriptions, FedEx from I was other say, countries. Yes, because the they amount of people legal. who are like, who went to other countries to get medications for it. And then some people will see an increase, but you have, once you stop taking the medications, you'll see a decrease. And then one of those medications that is legal here in the United States, one of the biggest side effects is uh, depression. Like a huge, like if you already have, uh, or if you are at risk for depression or have a history of depression, I tell people, no, you shouldn't take it because it's going to make all of this worse. And I'm like, what's more important to you, you know, milk or this. And it's like, I get how beautiful breastfeeding is and the act of it. I get so much about it, obviously, but I am a huge supporter of like people living their best lives, like taking it easy, being happy, content, confident. Like that is more important to me. So I'm like, do you really, you shouldn't be taking this medication. So Just yeah, the there's money. so much of the money, the, the money. money of it, the money of it all. And people will think too, like the more I buy, the better that I'll do. And I'm like, it's not always the case. You can, you can throw a million dollars at this, but it doesn't mean it's going to change. And that's why I think we have to start being realistic and just talk about just being vocal and having conversations about the fact that like, Hey, I have low milk supply and my body can only produce this amount. It is something beyond my control, but I'm still nursing my baby and we give formula. Let's move on and go to another part of this day. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like if we were able to kind of normalize so many different aspects of breastfeeding, then it wouldn't probably even feel so stigmatizing or it wouldn't feel so intense for a lot of people. And I just hope, you know, like as our children get older, if like my daughter were to have low milk supply or something, she'd be like, oh yeah, mom, I have low milk supply. I'm going to breastfeed. Can you give her a bottle after this? And we move on and it not be this thing where it's like, I have to hide in a room and feel like I don't want people to know, or, you know, I have to go and pump afterwards. I just want us to be able to, you can still give them the benefits of breastfeeding, but understand like, we're in a different place than we were a hundred years ago. Our bodies, our evolution, everything about us is just, it's different. And we have to also know that when we go into things like the natural aspect of breastfeeding, because a lot of stuff just isn't as natural in our lives anymore. And that's kind of how we're moving and it's okay, but we have to kind of know that just going into things. I also just want to add that everyone like says, oh, well, breastfeeding is free and it's only free if you have, like, you don't need any interventions at all, which almost no parent has. Yeah, And it's only also air quotes free because we don't value women's time. And I, like, I had a similar experience to Stacey of, um, having trouble with supply and latching and having to like breastfeed and then also pump afterwards. So I was like constantly in this loop cycle of like breastfeeding, pumping, 
cleaning the pump and like not having time for, Mm -hmm. for taking care of myself, which probably would have helped in the end. So I just think we have to also like acknowledge the fact that breastfeeding isn't as free as everyone markets to be. And if you have to supplement with formula and that's an expense for you, there's also lots of help for getting formula for free or at a lower cost. That's true. Yeah. 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 And on the financial end, like, so like you said, it's free if, if it's also easy for you. So like for me, whenever I had to breastfeed, again, I was younger. I didn't, Social media also wasn't as popular. So it was like half of the stuff that's out now, like I didn't know about, like when I was on the tail end of breastfeeding, my second kid, that's when like LV and Willow came out. So there wasn't this like, oh my God, you have to have this type of pump. It was kind of like there were two pumps and it was like, you just got one and it wasn't a thing. But like now it's like 50 million different pumps and 50 million different gadgets. So I think it's not, breastfeeding's obviously not free, but I also think we put so much more emphasis on the things of breastfeeding as well. And I think we have to find like a happy middle and understand like, yeah, some people are going to need to buy some things, but we also as a society are just much more in excess. Like some people will come to me with three pumps before the baby is born. And I'm just, they're like, well, I have this one for this, this one for this, and this one for this. And it's like, then they talk about how complicated it is and how this nursing bra is better than this one. And they'll ask me my opinions. And I'm like, I am literally the most minimalist person you'll ever meet. So it's just <laughs> like, I don't, I don't, I can't help you when it comes to product reviews all the time, because I just can't fathom why you need 16 different types of nursing bras. But that's where I think we are also at a, in, at a place in society where like, no, it's not free, but it also shouldn't be the most expensive bill if it doesn't have to be like, obviously if you're paying for help and you're paying for formula and you're paying for the things that you need to go into it, like that's really important. But I think we also have to kind of just remind people like you don't need to have the The most expensive one. Yeah. Yeah. You don't always need to buy like six different nursing pillows, like get a hand-me-down nursing pillow. If you can, like we have to kind of promote ways to like find some sustainability or like ways to just make it more affordable because I gave all of my stuff away when I was done. And I know there's certain things you're not technically supposed to share, but I'm the most realistic person. And I'm like, no. So for me with my second baby, I stayed home for the first nine months of his life. And I was, and again, I know that's a privilege and I was really thrilled to do so. I mean, I wasn't making any money though. So it was like, not amazing, but (laughs) like, it's a privilege, but I was like, we were losing money. (laughs) It's like I was working, but, um, I stayed home with him for the first nine months of his life at three months old. Uh, Houston had hurricane Harvey long story short, our whole house flooded. We lost everything, including my whole freezer stash of milk and my, um, pump. Right. Oh my God. It was okay though. Like we truly are so blessed. It's like such a blip in the scheme of things for our life. Like it really was a huge deal, but at the same time, like here we are, I guess five years later and it's not as substantial as it could have been, but I, we lost our pump and it's actually funny because we took pictures of the damage and I can see in the room because, well, we, we couldn't go back until a week later because it was so flooded that we couldn't drive back to our house. 
my in our bedroom the pumps like on the bed from the last time I used it and it was covered in mold and I was like oh, okay yeah. definitely can't use that and I was just like well I'm not going back to work so I don't need a pump so again I know that's something I got very lucky where so I did exclusively just breastfeed him for nine months and then I just like would hand express if I ever had to have a bottle to leave him because I was not about to buy another pump. Like I was like, I'm not spending money on this. But then at around nine months, I went back to work and uh, I did need a pump. And I was like, I'm not going to breastfeed for much longer. So I'm not buying a pump. And I borrowed one. And I know that's something we are not supposed to recommend professionally, but I was like, why would I buy a pump when I could just borrow one? Like, so this is what I mean when I'm saying like, yes, breastfeeding costs money, but it doesn't always have to like you, if you can penny pinch, do it. Like if you can find ways to like, I'm going to borrow a nursing pillow from my friend. I'm only going to breastfeed for this long. Oh, my baby's only taking bottles for a couple more months. I asked people for bottles. Like it was just like, I'm not going to spend money on this if I don't have to. So I made breastfeeding very free for me. I would say for the three years that I did it. Yeah. Three years back to back. You're hitting on something that I think is also really important. Like Parenthood advice, fourth trimester advice is like having a community, having a community before you have your baby and also after you have your baby, because that can give you the support you need to breastfeed or help you with all the other financial aspects of feeding, whether it's like pumping or supplementing. I lucked out and had a group of girlfriends who had all had babies before me. And there was just this like tub. It was like all the different types of bottles. And that way you didn't have to like buy a bottle and see if your baby would like that bottle. Like you could kind of try out what worked well for you. And also I'm pretty sure we bought our second hand and just like replaced the tubing. That's what I did Yeah. Um, Yeah. Which can be great advice for, for anyone who is worried about that sort of thing. Right. Well, technically, since I'm a professional, let me like give a professional answer. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you're supposed to, so like an open pump is like that Medela pumping style. Those are yes. the ones that are more at risk for like germs, blah, 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 whatever. But then the closed systems are more close to hospital systems and aren't supposed to get the germs in. So that's like Spectra, but most companies are making closed system pumps. So if you ever were about to buy one and you were concerned, just Google, is this a closed system pump? And it'll tell you. And then, then I would say go with your gut like again I'll never say don't do something unless it's like you know literally murder or something (laughs) all right so Erica we talked a lot about low supply um a little bit of a therapy session for me and Megan perhaps but I want to get back to this idea of oversupply too because I've heard that that can also be really really stressful especially if moms are you know going back to work or trying to move to combination feeding Do you have any like tips or tricks? Yeah. So there are a lot of, you know, with oversupply, it's such a blessing and such a curse. Um, I had an oversupply with my first baby because I put my body into an oversupply accidentally. So I was, you know, breastfeeding fine. But because it was my first baby and I just expected certain things, I was like, well, I should start pumping too. So I started pumping on day one. And by the time I got home, I was like extremely engorged and she would only feed for like 10 minutes. And to me, that was concerning. And that's actually when I called a lactation consultant. because I was like, she's not feeding for a very long time, you know, and we did a way to feed. She took like 
as a newborn, like four ounces in 10 minutes. And we were like, oh, and then I was still extremely full. So she had me pump afterwards and my body was still producing more and more milk. Now that's not like a humble brag or anything, but it was, I was just extremely full all the time for such a long, and for, until I saw that lactation consultant, I thought that was normal. I thought I was supposed to feel my breasts were like extremely hard and full and that that was normal. And like, oh yeah, well that means like I have milk in there, but y'all, you're not supposed to always feel that way. Like at some point they're going to feel soft and still be full of milk. And that is what's normal. But I didn't know that. Um, because I only worked in mother baby when I first, when I had my first kid. So I was a postpartum and nursery nurse. So I worked in the first three days postpartum and that's my extent of knowledge. That was my right. extent going into having right. kids. So I assume those firm breasts that I saw in the hospital was all of breastfeeding. And then, yeah, uh, you're at more at risk for a lot of things like plug ducts, mastitis, of course, with being, um, with having it oversupply, that's where pumping or hand expressing comes into place, which is, again, you need a pump, you need to start washing things. And so I would slowly taper off of pumping over, I can't remember how long it was, but we slowly tapered off of pumping and then just let her empty me completely. And then like lots of ice packs to slow my milk supply down. Um, and eventually it was fine. Like eventually it just was like another little small part of our feeding experience. That's why I say it was easy because it wasn't enough for me to like even remember those moments until I have to talk about them. But a lot of people with oversupply don't realize the same thing. They think that what's happening is normal and they continue that cycle. So they'll feed their baby. Their baby will get a full feeding on the breast, but then they're like, my breast still hurts. So they pump afterwards. And will you constantly do that cycle to where your body is expecting it each time and it won't stop until you stop it. Because when you're pumping, it thinks that the baby's still eating. They're like, yeah, oh, you need that much. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> so it'll just keep going. And most people don't know that. So they think, it's and they'll keep it going for months until finally they're like, How do I stop this? But your body's gotten so used to it. So, with an oversupply, it is one of those things where you some people come to us for help because they want to stop the milk supply. Um, and like I said, again, it's such a blessing. And you know, I don't ever want to be like, No, it is the worst thing because obviously there's people out there who could use that extra milk. But for some people, it is also a curse because I, you know, we'll see people who have multiple bouts of mastitis because of it on antibiotics several times have to go to the hospital because they had an infection or like had a high fever, like just lots of little things like that. Well, I guess they're not little, but you know, things like that going into it. So with an oversupply, it is going to be really working at slowing your supply down. Or, and some people, will, some people will purposefully put themselves into an oversupply because they know they have to go back to work sooner. So again, it's one of those things that's just really hard at being a, a mom in the United States <laughs> because yeah. people will intentionally put themselves through this, even though it's painful, it can put you at risk for so many things because they have to go back to work sooner than they want to go back and they want a freezer full of milk. And, you know, since we're on the topic of freezers full of milk, I want to just remind anybody listening that if you see those type of posts on Instagram, on any type of social media, you just have to remind yourself not to compare yourself in those situations because while that is really awesome for them, it is not a realistic uh, thing to see for every single person. And I, a lot of people will come to me and they'll be like, well, I only have two bags in my freezer. And I'm like, no, that's, that's actually normal. Like not to say that, you know, having an oversupply is abnormal, but technically it is not what it's an oversupply. It's not what your body or what right. most bodies are doing. So it's like, I always try to remind people like, 
just don't worry about those. Don't worry about those pictures. Just scroll right past them because it's exciting. And I know that those people are really proud and I want them to have a place where they can be proud too of their hard work and what they have. But I also want other people to remember like, that's just, it's just not, not it's not going to be happen for you and that's okay. Yeah. It's okay. Okay. I have one really quick, like brass tacks question before we leave, which is, is the idea that you can create, cause like what you've talked about is like that it's very individualized breastfeeding, mm-hmm. feeding babies is very individualized. Is it a myth that there are foods and drinks that can help your supply? Cause that was one of the things that I struggled with, with my first. So far. So I have this really good book called mother food. Right. Um, and it's all about like recipes and foods that are meant to kind of promote or enhance lactation. So from my professional experience, I'm going to say there are not very many studies that have proven any of this to be true, like that anything helps. But I think specifically here in the U.S., I can't speak for any other country, um, but a lot of the other countries from this book have so many recipes and drinks that are full of fluids and hydration and lots of like you know, good vitamins, minerals, all those type of things that I think those are so supportive of milk boosting or just even milk, like sustaining your milk and kind of hydrating your body that it's seen as something to increase your milk supply when truthfully it is something that is just kind of like keeping you afloat, like keeping everything afloat. So then if you come here to the U.S., obviously our nutrition is a little bit different for most people. And like, it's different for a lot of us. I know a lot of us don't drink as much water. We drink a lot more coffee. Like there's some days where I'm like, I got to make sure I'm focused on drinking water and then, you know, add in being postpartum and you're not drinking as much water or you're drinking coffee to try and stay awake because the baby is up all night. I think sometimes are like people will say, oh, I started drinking body armor and my supply went up and I'm like, maybe it's because you weren't drinking any fluids at all. It, yeah. it might not be body armor. It really might be just the fact that now you're getting fluids. Now you're getting electrolytes. Like, you found something you actually like to drink. Exactly. You didn't like drinking water. Yes. Exactly. So, and then same with the foods. Like a lot of the foods that in most books or most blog posts, most articles will talk to you about the foods that are good for milk supply. And all of those foods are, um, and y'all work in nutrition, so I don't know the right word, but they're very like, uh, like how watermelon's really like full of fluid. Yeah. You know, hydrating. The, yes, yeah. that, that's it. Um, they're very hydrating foods in general. So it's not, I don't think it's necessarily that it's, oh, the food is a magic thing. I think we're just hydrating our bodies properly in order to make more milk. If it, if you do see an increase, some people will be like, I'm eating all the foods and I'm not seeing any changes. And I'm like, yeah, that's because there's no, there's no real evidence behind it. That's like been documented, but if I can tell people like, Hey, you know, if you love eating oatmeal every morning and drinking oat milk and you're in that might be something that helps you then do it. It's not harmful. Oats, oats, oats. I remember oats and dark beer. I had a dark beer every night. (laughs) So many people with the oats. And I remember I was the same way where I was like, Oh, I'm going to get an oat milk latte every time. But there is like the coffee. Like, yes. You're like, actually, you're just drinking a whole lot of liquid. Exactly. (laughs) Okay. On the same tip, are there foods to avoid Mm. when you're breastfeeding? 
Kind of, yes. So it's really going to depend on your baby and your baby's response. But usually I say don't avoid anything. Go feed as as wide of a range as you can. And again, I'm not, I always tell people like, I don't specialize in food, but from what I know, like eat as much as you can. And once there is like more of a reaction or something that's a cause of concern, that's when it's worth us like kind of tailoring in and seeing what can be. Coffee can be one of those things where some babies will tolerate it completely fine. And then some people will be like, my baby wouldn't sleep as much. So then I'm like, you know, how much coffee did you drink? And they'll say they drink like two venti coffees. I'm like, oh, maybe we should cut back a little bit on the coffee and just kind of see if that helps. Yes. Um, And then like, you know, one of the old wives tale or whatever. One of the old things that people would say is like, my mom said, don't eat spicy food. My mom told me not to eat my, like the food that's, uh, my traditional cultural food, like my cultural food, you know, like Indian families or Latino families, they'll say like, my family told me not to eat anything spicy. And like, that's just such a myth. And a lot of studies have actually shown that it's better for baby to get exposed to those things earlier. So kind of that early exposure is a lot more helpful. So I tell people don't cut back unless there's a reason. And same with the gassy foods like broccoli and cauliflower. They'll say, my mom told me that's why the baby's gassy. And it's like, there's no, there's nothing, no science rooted in that. It's just probably them assuming that that's what's causing it. And there's not a reason for you to not eat those foods. Before we say goodbye to you, because I we're going to tell everybody your Instagram and your site, you have classes, you have so much, I mean, from nipple care to how to prepare to go back to work, so much amazing, helpful content. But I just want to end with, do you have any final words on just like how, no matter how you're breastfeeding, low supply, oversupply, normal supply, how can you make it as pleasurable as possible for you as a breastfeeding parent? I think the best way that you can make it something that you look back on with a fond memory is to really start to harness who you are in these moments. And it's so hard, like becoming a mom is just so hard because your whole life changes and you do change in those moments. So whenever you have to sit, you know, while you're pumping or grabbing a bottle or hooking up the SNS, like doing any of those type of things, really sitting in your feelings in those moments and asking yourself, like, is this, is this something that can work for me forever? Like, is this something that's okay for today? Like, I always tell people to take it day by day. And I don't know if any of y'all watch Euphoria, probably don't, but yes, everybody, everybody got really mad at Cassie on Euphoria for saying that. And I was like, it's truthfully really good advice, though, in certain situations, maybe not for an addict, <laughs> but like, I don't know, it's really good advice, I think, just to take it day by day, and just kind of see where you are. And also, I think it's just really important to remember that ending your feeding journey at any point does not mean you failed or you quit, because guess what, it's gonna end one day, like it has to end one day, it might end sooner than you expected it to, but it's, it's going to end one day. So you get to choose how it ends. And I always say, just end it on a high note, do that last feeding with pride. Like look at your baby, take some pictures, write down how hard of a journey it was and just write like, but we're done. And I'm coming to peace with that as hard as it is. I'm going to be okay. And baby's going to be okay. Like cherish the end. Do you know what I mean? Like it's hard, but 
You just have to kind of make this your own, not anybody else's. Because I think a lot of us also do that where we're like, my sister-in-law breastfed for 18 months. And it's like, but you're not your sister-in-law. Like you're not. And that's something I've had to tell myself with things unrelated to breastfeeding. Like I used to be so obsessed with working out and like having my body look a certain way until finally, like I turned 30 and I was like, wait, that's not my DNA. Like that's not my genetics. Like I'm pushing myself to be something I'm not. And I just got to do what works for me and be com- learn how to be comfortable in who I am. And that's that's a lot of what breastfeeding is too. It's a lot of mental, I think, more than anything. That's beautiful. And also, Megan and I are here to remind everybody that the feeding journey continues <laughs> for many, many more years. <laughs> yeah. The feeding, gen- like the feeding journey doesn't end just Y'all- with... Breastfeeding. breastfeeding. Oh my gosh. I, I think this all the time, but I never really want to say it because in this space, I always feel like I don't want to be that person that's like, oh, you think it's hard now? Just wait. I don't, I don't want to, yes. but I guess it's a but it's like the feeding journey never ends. Literally my kids are, okay. They're five and six. My son's about to be five. That's what it is. Um, <laughs> they, and I seriously, am like, oh my God, I remember when y'all breastfed and y'all didn't talk back. Like when you, or even when you were one and you ate sweet potatoes yeah. and you were fine with like baby led weaning, like everything was great. And now it's like, my son is just very particular. Like he doesn't, he would just eat nuts and berries. And I'm like, we got to get some food in you. And I'm yes. just like, this as I make meals, I'm like, this is literally never going to end. I have to <laughs> do food related things with them for the rest of their life. Yes. Like it, it's wild to me. And I just think back to sometimes I'm like, dang, that first year, I guess, I guess it wasn't as bad as I thought. Cause this, this is kind of hard when they, when I put a plate down and they're like, I hate this. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Great. Neat. Yeah, Neat. It's, I a, love that. it's like yeah. there's just a different season, you know, but it just yes. it feels like such a big thing. You know, one of my favorite stories is that Isaac used to co-sleep and at four months I put him in a baby sleeper next to the bed instead of in the bed. And I cried like for an hour mm-hmm. because it was the first milestone. And now I have yes. I can look back and I see that actually parenting is full of these separations, new season, new challenges, but it's all this thread. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. like, yes, it's emotional and it's hard to let go of feeding, cherish it, do all the beautiful things that you said, because it will look different. You're not going to return to this, but there's still like so many opportunities and challenges ahead around feeding. And that's when they go from tuning into you to tuning into us. (laughs) Yes. And I guess that's kind of what's cool about like in the, I always tell, you know, six months, once you can start introducing solids, it's like you can reclaim some of that, that, that not power, but like that, what you wanted to get with like nursing, if you really want to be more, you can try and reclaim that in so many different aspects. If you really feel like the feeding is what you wanted, like you can try and do it in different aspects. That's such a good. Make them those gourmet little pancakes if you want or whatever. Yeah. It's a different kind of ownership. It's a reminder that there's always beginnings and ends in motherhood. Yeah. Yeah. Erica, thanks so much for joining us today. No problem. One of my favorite things of the whole, there are so many favorite nuggets. So many things. But this idea, bringing it back to you and me, that... that there are all these opportunities, like whatever you feel happened during the first six months of feeding, that when you start solids, 
And then we know when they, you know, there's so many other phases when they go through a picky phase, when they start feeding themselves out in the world on their own and you don't have control anymore. These are all milestones and each one presents you with an opportunity to think about your relationship to food and feeding and your kid and their relationship to food and kind of readjust. Did that resonate with you as much as it did for me? Oh, 1000%. Especially what Erica said, like, this is just such a small piece of your parenthood journey. Uh, that's, that is like me. I'm going back to 2012, Megan, and telling her, like, that's such a small part of it. I also think it's like an important place for us to talk about. I mean, we have this whole identity that's wrapped in food, right? Like we are both food editors. We've been for a long time. We take pride in how we feed our families and how we feed people. But like, that is such a small part of raising kids in general. And we do have to, from the beginning, take this pressure off. Like the benefits of breast, some of the benefits of breastfeeding are not about the nutrition. They're not about the milk at all. It's about the mother baby time together. And if we can take a more wide angle view at parenthood, I think we can take a little bit of the stress out of it and hopefully bring in some more joy. Yeah. You remember when family dinner was like the thing, there were all these Instagram accounts and it was like family dinner, family dinner. And I remember joking. Like your kids will do drugs if they don't eat dinner. I literally remember making a joke like, okay, like if you don't eat dinner with your kids, they're obviously going to become like an addicted hot mess. Like they're going to be serial killers. Let's bring it back to true crime. No, seriously. That's what it felt like. And actually what family dinner really represents is a time when you're connecting with your kids in a very busy world that they know that there's always a time and a space where you will be present and connect, even if it's just for 20 minutes, 10 minutes, whatever it is. So it could be family breakfast, or if you hate cooking and everyone in your house isn't into food, it could be a weekend walk. Like it can take all these different, you know, forms. Yes. Maybe you're a better parent than me and it can be floor play, like where you're on the right. floor playing and doing imagination, which I freaking do not. Enjoy. Totally hard relate. <laughs> so, yeah. And so we talk about food because actually, I think this is really important to pull back the curtain. Food is a place where we can excel because we actually like food. That's the secret people yes. that like, it seems like we're doing all this stuff for our kids. We're doing all this stuff for our kids. Yes, but we're doing it in this realm where we feel confident, where we feel like it brings us some personal joy, where it brings us some intellectual stimulation, where all these things, because it's part of our profession, like this isn't just out of the like goodness of our saintly motherly hearts. You know what I mean? Yes. (laughs) So if feeding is not your thing and you're listening to us, just because you want those practical tips and tricks to like get in and out of the kitchen as quickly and as efficiently as possible. Like that is okay. That is just a tiny piece of your parenting. Yes. I feel like that's it. That's the whole, didn't I just feed you in a nutshell? We like it, but you don't have to like it. Absolutely. It's okay if you don't like it. So it's great if you breastfed. It's great if you formula fed. 
it's okay if you hated it all and it was miserable. And in 15 years, you're going to tell trauma stories to thousands and thousands of listeners <laughs> on a podcast. That's it. It's all fine. <laughs> it's all <laughs> So fine. Okay. So, uh, Stacy, let's invite everyone to share their trauma and inspiration <laughs> with us in our Didn't I Just Feed You listeners community. We hope you've joined us there. If not, join for free at didn'tijustfeedyou.com backslash community. Or if you want those bonus episodes and other goodies, join our supporting community. You can also keep in touch with us on Instagram where we're at Didn't I Just Feed You or by signing up for our newsletter. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to Didn't I Just Feed You wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you're already a subscriber, leave us a rating or a review. Those don't only bring us joy, they also help other busy home cooks find us. A huge thank you to Erica, our guest today, and to our editor, Samantha Gatsik, who we love so much. I'm Stacy, And I'm Megan. Stay sane and well-fed until next week. Be sure to subscribe to Didn't I Just Feed You wherever you're listening. And don't forget to rate and review 